0: Welcome to the self-helpful podcast. I'm Kevin Miller. I hunt for the latest and greatest authors and experts in self-help and ask them the candid and in-depth questions I'm curious about for my own growth. I bring these conversations series to you so we can learn and grow together. In this episode, I'm back with Elliot Bisnow to walk through his personal values, motives, and habits in the key areas of life fulfillment so we can hear what is driven and does drive him to produce the massive Summit Series personal development events and festivals that he does and design a life that fulfills him. Elliot's life is spent with the elite of self-help and business success. He has some incredible insight that he puts into place for his own success. That's what we're going to hear about. Things like meditation that he uses, as he says, a tuner for his brain. His exercise is being a sparring partner in essence for elite tennis players on the health and wellness front. He battled bad asthma until he did a dietary cleanse, basically an elimination diet and his asthma disappeared. His daily decision-making process is focused on making decisions that will create less stress in the future. And in business, he talks about how we do business being more important than what we do in business. That's what I titled the show after. And regarding money and his own success, he places more value on not wanting things than what more he wants. It's a quality discussion. You can get his book, make no small plans, which we discussed in episode one, zero, three, eight anywhere. And you can find Elliot and his pals at summit.co. And you can find info there on their November, 2022 event that I'm looking to attend. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast, leave a review about this episode, about the show that helps me and it helps other people know what to expect. And the best thing you can do is take something that you heard, something you learned today, talk about it with someone else. You can always find me at my website or social media, kevinmiller.co. Next up, Elliot Bisnow and his healthy habits, values, his motives, what drives him. Elliot, as I was reading the book, and I think again, it was kind of on that crux of you guys, your journey with the business after, or along with the Aspen event that, you know, initially went bad. And then you guys, uh, revived there. And you said through the, oh no, maybe this is my paraphrasing, but through the events, through those, you guys found your values. I mean, that's, that's significant through this process. And it was first building a business and doing this cool thing, but you found your values and that's what this episode is about. But I would say, even as you guys do your events and you decide to put out a book, like make no small plans, how much of that is around your desire for yourselves to continue clarifying your values and to help other people find what they value.
1: Yeah. I mean, i'll skip all the obvious values like hard work and integrity right i'd like to think that everyone has those and i'll I'll kind of focus on the values uh that I think made us different yep. um, you know one one of them was from the early days you know if it, if it won't make the movie it doesn't count huh. you know, and it was the idea that uh you know life is not a dress rehearsal yeah. um you know really focusing on uh, you know, another quote, keeping it surreal, right? Like, uh, you know, making sure at our events to give people great experiences. Like the reason we're putting on events is to inspire people and let's really push the boundaries. You know, if it's not going to make the movie, the quote unquote movie, it's not going to count. No. If it's not surreal, it's not going to count. Um, and so I think, you know, from an early day, from the early days, we were very focused on creating programming and activities at our events that 90% of the people would be inspired by and 10% of the people would be offended by. You (laughs) know, if if we tried to do something that played it safe, uh, you know, hey, let's all go uh, have a yoga class or, uh, you know, you know, let's have these safe – you know, speakers that don't address challenging topics, you know, that's almost worse than, you know, things that push the boundaries, like encouraging everyone to go skydiving the opening day of the event. Um, There's nothing that bonds people better at an event than dynamic shared experiences. You know, we've had events where we encourage everyone to go paintballing. Um, That's great. You know, and so I think I'll tell you one funny thing is one time I was at a a dinner, uh, about 10 plus years ago. And there was a chef and he asked me at the dinner, he said, let me ask you a question about your events. Do you think you guys keep it real? And I said, well, of course, yeah, we keep it real. He said, you think you really like you're keeping it real at the event? And I said, yeah, I think we are. He said, well, everybody keeps it real. Everybody, every event keeps it real. If you want to stand out, you need to keep it surreal You need every part of your event to be surreal. You know, don't just serve some fancy dinner with waiters. You know, how about this? How about ask the attendees who wants to join for the cooking and join the kitchen chefs and staff and which attendees want to serve each night? And now the attendees can actually create the meals, Mm -hmm. serve the meals. And then at the end, how about we ask all these entrepreneurs and fancy people to pick up their own plates and help us bring all the plates to the kitchen and let's all wash up together, you know, as opposed to imagine, you know, not only were we saving money, but like imagine that shared experience of people laughing over scrubbing dishes, laughing while they're cooking food, laughing while they're, you know, they're the ones serving to the guests. How's that for a way to meet people, Kevin, rather than being like, hi, I'm, you know, Kevin Miller. I just wanted to introduce myself versus Kevin Miller literally serving the food to every single person.
0: Okay. And Elliot, I want, I want to stick on that. No, it's great because it reminds me of what's so, again, it's so, uh, counterintuitive in business. If you say, guys, we're going to come have, give you this awesome gourmet, you know, five-star seven course meal, uh, from chef, whoever, uh, in this great ballroom and you do it and it's great you just met what everybody already expected and it's non-memorable. Man, that's so frustrating because you think, no, we killed it. It was perfect. But if you build it as that, it's not memorable as opposed to, and I'm looking at your website at summit.co and the first picture that comes up is this table that's got to be 100 feet or more long uh, up on a mountaintop. I don't know if that's at Powder Mountain where it you It was are. a
1: quarter mile long. A,
0: holy smokes. Okay, I missed that by a long shot. Yeah, that's memorable. I mean, just the setting alone. We're going to go eat out there. Where was that?
1: That was on the top of Powder Mountain. Okay. Um, that's <laughs> One killer. time, Kevin, we had a dinner, and we all ate dinner. and It was did this whole thing I was talking about, the guests serving the food and cleaning up. And then, you know, there was music and dancing and everyone had a great time. And it was like 1230 in the morning, at night. Yeah. And I went upstairs back to the dining room and the DJ had, uh, was eating food. Like they were having some pancakes and eggs and the chef had just finished cooking for the DJ. And we said, well, what are you doing? Or you're, you're eating? What about dinner? He said, no, no, no. I, you know, I'm the DJ. Like I was DJing the last three hours and I didn't eat before I'm hungry. I'm I'm having a DJ's dinner. I said, you know, we said, well, I want a DJ's dinner. That sounds awesome. Like I'd love some food at 1230. Like, well, we don't have enough. Like we only prep for the DJ and his manager. And we thought, you know what? We need to do DJ dinners. And so at the events, we actually added to the schedule, DJ dinner. And, uh, We would have, the, uh, you know, whether it was another chef or the same chef, didn't cost a lot to make scrambled eggs and pancakes at midnight. And everyone would come up from dancing and sweating and late night talks, and they'd be hungry because dinner had been at 7, it's 12 or 1 a.m. And suddenly there's a whole late night dinner. And so those are just like the kind of things that, you know, again, we say high, cool, make it very cool, low cost. Yeah. You know, what does it cost to do scrambled eggs and pancakes at nothing? You know, and so we would do these things that would just blow people's minds. Like, I've, I mean, what event have they ever gone to where part of the event program is doing late night DJ's yeah. dinner with yeah. 30 people? Oh, and for the DJ's dinner, everyone would sit on the tables, you know? Yeah. And so, it, you know, we literally sit on the tables and put our feet on the benches yeah. or sit on the counter. You know, we thought, you know what, let people be at home. Well, what's wrong with sitting on the counter? What's wrong with standing and eating pancakes? And these are just like the little touches that kind of made summit well known and made summit like so different than any other event.
0: No, I love it. Okay. So that I just, I just decided how I want to do this, this episode. You ready? So we're going to go through these. I'm going to ask you your personal, you know, values, motives, habits. And then uh, if possible, I want a story uh, in that genre, in that category from the event. First one here is is spiritual. And, um, you know, I'll ask you where you sit there. You know, what is a value there for you, how you walk that out, and then how you have incorporated that in the event, maybe a cool story, because I know you've got a lot of people in that genre that are part of your event, speakers at your events and aspects of you want this to be a... I mean, the word surreal for a lot of people, that is a somewhat spiritual word. So start off with you, Elliot, spiritual.
1: Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing for me personally that I've changed in the last 10 years is I started meditating about 10 years ago. I started doing transcendental meditation. Uh, I remember I did a yoga practice once, and at the end I did the Shavasana. It was like my first time ever doing yoga or second or third time. And I did the Shavasana at the end where you just lay still and close your eyes. And I said to someone after, I was like, I really love that Shavasana thing. I think I need more of that because I'm pretty go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And I'm never silent. Yeah. And they said, well, that's just like meditation. So I started meditating and that's had one of the biggest impacts on my life. You know, we talked in the first episode about me not being socially calibrated. Yep. It was almost like I went 10% too quickly. I spoke too fast. I didn't listen. And it's like the meditation was like a piano tuner for my brain. Wow. It like calibrated everything so that I could listen, so I was okay being silent. So um you know, I could be more calm and present. And so again, I think going back to the idea that for our events, anything we program, we want to love to love that programming. You know, we added, you know, these meditation type elements to the events, whether it was like a late night guided meditation, or, you know, an early morning meditation to start the day. Um, you know, that's something we would add. And again, you know, we have a bunch of co-founders and different team members. So there are many different spiritual aspects of the event. Um, but that that's probably the one that resonates for me, is, uh, is taking some stillness within all of the, you know, fast-paced energy.
0: Well, I do want to speak here because you are, we talked about this at the end of the last show about your shift as you guys as a team thought about how these events were going to go and you recrafted it again from being kind of about what you guys are doing and offering and 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 want to this is for these people. This is an experience for their inspiration, for the furtherment of their lives. I mean that is a greater purpose and it feels like your events have that at a core of helping everybody get to their values, to their greatest purpose. Cause to me, the core definition of spirituality is just that it's either all for me and about me and what I can take and have, or I am living my life in a way to serve others that that's as a base of spirituality feels very much like what you have devoted your life to and what you guys have created summit for.
1: Yeah. And we would also, you know, add some of these uh, elements into the dinners, you know, I think there's a good quote that uh, one of the most underrated pieces of technology ever invented is the dinner table, (laughs) because you sit at it, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner three times a day, every day, and it's a great place to have a conversation. And so on that spiritual note, we would often actually have table questions, Mm. Uh, like you'd be in a table with six people, which, Four six people are the perfect number of people to have at a dinner table. Even if you have 100 people, six is the best number at a table. And one of the questions uh, was around death. Mm-hmm. And we had a friend, kind of a mentor, who wrote a book uh, called Let's Have Dinner and Talk About Death. And he would here you'd be at this event and we would ask the table to answer this question during dinner, which was, You just found out you have 30 days left to live. What do you want to do in those 30 days? And what do you want to do in your last hour? Mm. And, you know, it's a very simple question, but talk about spiritual. Like for us, we don't want to put ideas in people's head. We want to give them uh, talks and we want to give them space for them to arrive at their own conclusions. And so I think that kind of question at a dinner, uh, that was something we would do because you know, we've done hundreds of events. You know, when you're when people are sitting and asking that and talking about that, not only are they bonding at the table, but that really brings like a deep spiritual element to the event.
0: Well, and you've spoken a lot right there to the next category, which is relationships. So obviously I know where to go or you know, direction and it's what your events are about. But you, I mean, you feel it feels like you have a pretty significant Story of your own of going from kind of not that it was a selfishness, but just a again, that social calibration kind of a me focus to stepping back and going, Wait, I need to be aware of people, I need to listen to people. And so, I'd ask you that even in your personal life, you talked about family. What are the things that you do to keep the relationships within the values that you have?
1: Well, just personally, I am very into video calling people, so the people close to my to me, uh. If they're not in the same city as me, I'm I'm pretty good about calling them on video and uh, checking in with them. You know, the best thing you can do is see someone in person. The next best thing is to talk to them on video. So I really do do a lot of spontaneous video calls. That's That's probably my biggest thing to maintain relationships with people, whether it's my relatives or my closest friends is just making a big effort to talk to them on video.
0: And you mentioned though, your, and I don't know if there was a a specific catalyst of time that brought you to this, but your effort to not talk. I think we hit this and I don't know if it was at the beginning of this show or this episode or at the end of the last one of just remembering to listen. You said that I want to ask questions 80% of the time and you know the other is me but that it's more from a listener and than a than a talker than a teller
1: yeah i mean that definitely is a way to build relationships is asking people questions there's you know a good term compassionate listening you know really the art of listening and that there's an entire art to listening to asking good questions and uh you know most people don't ask good questions yeah most people's relationships are what I call a reporting relationship. Kevin, how is the uh, weather over there in Colorado? Interesting. How's the uh, how's the podcasting going, my man? Yeah. Yeah, how's the kids? Like that's just like reporting relationship. It's kind of yeah. goobledegook. You know, a better question might be Kevin, like what's um just in like the last week, what's the kind of 5% best things that have been happening to you and what's kind of the 5% most challenging things that have been happening? That's great, yeah. You know, and you ask that question and then you really care about the answer. We also joke about people who ask questions and they're just they're just fishing to talk. Like they're asking a question to then set themselves up to talk. It's yeah. like, Kevin, how's the, uh, you got any trips planned? You're like, yeah, I'm actually headed to... Uh, Yosemite. It's like Yosemite. You know what? I, I was just there. Let me, you know what, Kevin, I just did this. Yeah. I did this amazing trip to Yosemite. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, they ask the wrong questions. They ask questions, then interrupt and start talking. Yeah. And the key is like really good, deep questions, and then more deep questions, building off the answers.
0: Okay. So on that then, what have been some of the most successful ways you have structured the summit events? to help facilitate people connecting bottom line
1: well if you have an event that's less than a couple hundred people you can introduce people to other people you know it's totally different if your events are thousands of people but if it's 30 people if it's a dinner party um you can absolutely connect people to other people. Um, You know, one thing we've often done is whether it's just a small dinner we've had with eight or 15 people, or whether it's a big dinner with a hundred people, but we've broken it into tables is to ask everyone at the table to just share um, where they're from, what their name is and, you know, what they are working on right now, or what they're most excited about. Because even something like that can make it uh, so much more approachable to talk to someone. You know, m- much of the world uh, are introverts and often introverts are the most thoughtful and smartest people. In fact, often the best entrepreneurs, but it's hard for them to open up a new conversation. Yeah. So we, we've put a lot of effort into kind of ice breaking for people. Like I said, someone who's an introvert, you know, might not feel comfortable going up and talking to lots of people, but might be feel great serving the dinner or cooking in the kitchen or, you know, being asked a question that everybody else is also being asked. Um, You know, we've done stuff at content sessions where you actually have everyone in the content session, say their room, so excuse me in the room, say their name and what they're working on in 10 seconds. So imagine 40 people And before they start the content, actually, everyone in the audience introduces themselves, you know, just to pull people in. So it doesn't feel like, again, you're kind of in this cattle show and you're this unimportant, uh, just like random ticket holder.
0: You'll appreciate this, Elliot, if you haven't already heard of it. I don't know if you know, Pete Vargas, um, but the guys, yeah, 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 I do just master stage. Well, he told me Man, it's probably been a couple years ago that as they were doing their events, so they're going around the country doing their events and they're going to put on, he would, he would contact maybe 20 somewhat VIP people, you know, some, some people that had succeeded a lot. He knew and just say, Hey man, I want to buy, I want to buy you and 19 other people dinner. Will you meet us on Friday nights before the event or whatever? Have him come there. And what he stumbled on that was so powerful is, is, is two questions. He said, Hey, go around the room, you know, share your name or maybe what you do or something like that. And then just something that is working for you, like just something that's really working per- business, personal, whatever. And mm-hmm. then something that's not. Mm. And he said, nobody's ever asked that. What's not, it's very humbling. Write it, write it down.
1: He says it it down right now. (laughs) Dude,
0: I thought you'd appreciate it. Cause he said it was, it was, he said people left with that and said it was one of the most powerful things they've ever experienced. He's like, dang, I didn't really expect that. But when do you, they all know they're successful. So there's, you know, credibility in the group already. And so to say what's working, they were all really interested to hear what was working. And then to say what was not was just, just blew everybody's socks off. So there you go.
1: Um, I just wrote it down. I love it. I, I I'm going to ask it.
0: I do too. I thought it was brilliant. I was so grateful that he shared it with me and I've used it a lot. Even when, even and I've got a weekly group of guys, just, you know, three or four guys that meet together and we do that a lot. Okay. Hey, just right now, what's working, what's not. There's, and
1: there's something, there's something about, um, a, a thoughtfully asked question. Yeah. Uh, like I heard a speaker say that the worst question you can ask a kid who's like 17 or 18 and trying to figure out what they want to do is, what are you passionate about? They're like, this is the worst question because that's actually has a lot of pressure. Yeah. Like, what's your passion? Like most people, they're like, I don't know what I'm passionate about. But if you just reframe it and you just ask them, what are some things you're interested in? That's great. You know, it's... um it's a total reframe like I heard, you know, and, and so that's something that I've shifted and started asking younger people and that it's actually like basically everyone has lots of things they're interested in. If you ask them what they're passionate about, like, you know, they can really stumble and and feel like they don't have anything because there's, there's so much to that. Word passion, but I love. It's like to your point. I mean, that's, that's such an easy question. Like, what what's working for you? It's also so broad. Yeah. I love it. I love it.
0: Well, I appreciate what you just said too, because I found myself really with my kids. They'll go away to a, an event or do something and come back, in my propensity to say, "Okay, what was the best thing that happened?" Mm. It's so difficult. I, I did it the, just the other day, and I started to, and then I stumbled back. I, I mean, what was just something cool that happened? Okay, that they can answer. But yeah, we make these climactic questions. And I do it too. And I'm trying to back down. Um, health and wellness, next category. So I'll ask that. You look like you're uh, fit and trim. What do you do for your own health and wellness, Elliot?
1: All right. This is a bit eccentric. Great. But I played college tennis. Yep. And in the juniors, I was a pretty good tennis player. So I actually play tennis every day. Wow. Play, you know, six days a week. And I hit with younger players or college players. And I'm a practice partner for, you know, again, professional players, younger players, college players. And I mentor the younger folks or just, you know, practice with the. Uh, You know, again, much better player, but the equivalent of somebody who was a pitcher in college and now throws batting practice for a major league baseball team. So I will literally go and hit with players on the WT and ATP tour or just, you know, help out and jump in with the younger players. So it keeps me super fit and I can, you know, teach the younger kids a bunch of the stuff I've learned, but I play tennis every single day.
0: Totally fun. How about on the nutrition
1: side? I am a pretty passionate I'm pretty passionate about my health. I have a really bad asthma huh. that no matter what I did for years and years and years would not go away. And I went to all these asthma doctors, and every single one told me you're going to need to take Claritin twice a day and an inhaler twice a day for the rest of your life because asthma is uncurable. Yeah. So then this interesting thing happened like five years ago. I randomly did a cleanse. It was just like a couple week cleanse where you just take out all the toxins and anti-inflammatories from my your diet. And I only did it because I just thought it would be fun. Like I never did a cleanse before. So I did it. And on the third day, suddenly all of my allergies and asthma went away. And I called the person who had who like the 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 person who ran the cleanse program. I said, This is really weird, because I just thought maybe I'd lose some weight or Feel better, but my asthma and my allergies went away. Is this normal? And they said, "Well, yeah. If you you know take out all the inflammation from your gut, yeah. you can actually solve these, and you solve the underlying issues. Like you have asthma, and you've been treating it, but if you solve the underlying issues, it might go away." So that was a major revelation, and like really started me on my uh, health journey. Uh, yeah, I don't eat gluten. I don't eat dairy. I'm, you know, you know, pretty much plant-based, but I also love to cook and uh, I'm obsessed with going to the farmer's markets. Like I go every single Saturday, I go to a farmer's market, wherever I am in the world. That's, and I just find the most awesome people are there. And I, yeah, I'm, I I think that uh, I just love, look, I love cooking and just, my experience with my asthma and then just eliminating the asthma and throwing out my inhalers was pretty eye opening
0: did you find out of that because ultimately you're doing an elimination diet, getting rid of all the exactly. possible culprits. Did you figure out if there was one that was the main culprit or was it the culmination?
1: I think it was getting rid of the inflation uh, excuse me getting getting rid of we have to get rid of inflation um that too. getting rid of the inflammation yeah uh I found that probably. Uh, gluten and dairy were the main things that when I eliminate, I feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that everything, yeah, like actually sugar doesn't really affect me personally. I try to not have much sugar, but the really gluten and dairy really uh, were problematic for my skin, for yeah. my asthma, for my energy. But that actually, a lot of things I've tested for that were inflammatory really weren't. I, I don't know, like I've tried every diet and uh, I didn't find that. I don't find that lectins are a problem for me. Like I eat tons of lentils and beans yeah. and I feel amazing. So I agree with you, like the inflammation diet and every person is their own unique person. And this is what worked for me.
0: Yeah. I, I have a very similar story. Elliot and mine was nightshades. Uh, mm. that just wreck me. They cause inflammation in a place that puts my back out and I end up near immobile and I don't mm. do them anymore. And I just have been as solid as a rock for years. So, uh, great to hear the story. How long were you on the diet before the asthma symptoms subsided?
1: Three days, four days. Really? That's yeah. Tremendous. And I had like horrible allergies. Like yeah. when it was allergy season, I'd be like, I'll just take Claritin twice a day. Wow. Like a double dose. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but look, I don't, I, I'm not a preachy person. And I think to your point of the elimination diet, like nightshades are great for me. Like I love tomatoes. I love eggplant and it has zero impact on me. So I, I, it seems to me that everyone should do like a total elimination and then kind of do their own experiment. Right. Totally. And just see what works for each person. Yeah.
0: That's just not fun for most people. Like you cited that you thought it would be fun. Most people are looking at that with terror. Like, Oh my gosh, I've got to go a few days without gluten, dairy, you know, lentils, whatever it may be. Um, that's, uh, you also in the book, it mentioned that you don't drink. Is that still true?
1: Yeah. I haven't had a drink in like 10 years. Okay. There's not any particular reason. I I don't really have a very addictive personality. Just it seemed like something that the uh the positives were outweighed by the negatives a lot and I, and i really think that as i got in, even to my like late 20s or mid tw- it just felt like uh the choice i made the night before even a drink one drink i felt sluggish the next morning yeah um so yeah but but i don't i don't again i'm not a very preachy person so i i'd have no judgment like if People have a drink or wine well, I mean sure. I, you know the funny thing is i don't even talk about my the, you know drinking or not drinking because I find it makes people uncomfortable if they think i don't drink, so I just don't talk about it
0: you have health and wellness as i mean it seems to be a big at least flavoring if not focus of the summit events is it just part of the spirit or kind of again the 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 filtering of that you were looking for people and kind of crafted around an expected interest of health and wellness,
1: yeah, I think it's uh it's just such a common interest now, and we we really like topics that cross uh both political spectrums, right We like things that basically any person uh can relate to and talk about, so I think in general. Uh, a lot of the topics at the summit events are relatable to like a wide spectrum of people. Right. And so I think we, we try to talk about, we try to not do stuff that could be off putting to a large percentage of people. But I think for the most part, you know, health and wellness, growing your own food, you know, problem solving your health issues. uh, You know, these are really interesting topics basically to everyone.
0: Now you talked about it as far on the spiritual aspect meditation, but the next category is the mind it is the mental health so that's something that you're saying you participate in for your own mental wellness any other things that you're doing on a consistent basis just to address your mental well-being
1: yeah i'm I'm making decisions that are hopefully going to be stress free over the coming years, and I think a lot of our current lives and our stress can be attributed to decisions we make, whether it's weeks or months before, but often years before, hmm. whether it's a business partner, or a new business you launch or a project. And so I think, uh, it, you know, it's very important to make decisions that are going to lead to good uh, wellness, right? Overbooking your calendar and suddenly it's three weeks later and you just, you're having a really bad week because you overbooked yourself. So I think I, I just I take a lot of care with you know scheduling my time and the scheduling my commitments so that I don't put myself in a bad state like a month earlier and set myself up for uh, you know problematic weeks.
0: Is that where you're at risk from a you know just a mental well being standpoint? Is just an overcommitment?
1: I think there's lots of areas we're all at risk. I mean, but yeah, sure. Speaking to myself, Mm -hmm. I would be really miserable if I was, you know, super overcommitted to anything. You know, suddenly, you know, wow, having to get on flights that I don't want to get to or made commitments to events I don't want to go to, or just just anything. So I think I think our schedule and our lives are very foundational. And it's really important to work backwards on like what life do i want to live and how do i want to live it and then make sure that our work and our commitments fit into that bucket yeah and look i think covid was a a good reset for all of us it really let us wipe the slate clean and you know okay now you know do we really have to go out five nights a week you know do we you know i'm you know you're coming from going out zero nights a week so even two nights feels pretty exciting uh so yeah, look, that that's definitely a big deal for me is getting over-programmed and committed. And so I'm really thoughtful about it.
0: I ask you this in regards to health and wellness. So the same thing with mind and mental health. You know, as I look at the roster, like of your upcoming November event in Palm Springs, there's a good amount of people, even just the speakers that were listed that I would put in the, really in the mental health uh, category is that, yeah, was that a, a, a an intended focal point to have that as a, as a sizable category for the event.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, the main theme of summit is becoming your best self. You know, that is the main underlying theme of the summit events is how do you become all the versions of your best self. And so I think when we program our content in general, it's not, you know, content on how to do the best real estate deal or, you know, how to raise tons of money for your startup, you know,
0: right.
1: for the most part is a lot of content about all the elements of building the best version of you. Yeah. And when people leave the events, what we found is like what really makes them feel fulfilled is new relationships, but that they're, you know, personally growing and maturing.
0: Work- career business is the next category. I mean, for you, you obviously, I mean, that's the story of this book is what you guys did really as a part of your personal journeys in creating this business that you now have. That seems fairly diversified. Now you have, you know, the book happening, but what are the, are there some parameters? If we talk about overcommitment that you put around to keep your work where you want it to be for your own overall wellness.
1: Yeah, in general, we've been focused for more than 10 years on you know, working on things we're really excited about and launching businesses that we're really passionate about and working with people we really love. And so I think at a high level, the how we do business is almost more important than the what we do. Hmm. And I think people get that backwards. So we're just really focused on how we do business with people we really like working with in a way that, you know, is fun and exciting in a way that, uh, you know, the customers, you know, really like the product. Uh, our goal has never been to maximize profit. So I think, look, we have our own kind of rules of doing business and our own way of doing business. And I think everyone should create their values of how they do business, what is important to them. And we feel really good about how we do business and good about the people we work with.
0: Well, in that, the goal is not you know, primarily to maximize profit, money, finances, wealth. That's the next category. I mean, there's nobody that's coming. Well, I shouldn't say that, but that's, that's obviously a big ticket seller. I mean, you're doing an event. If you talk to people's wallets to increasing their success, increasing their money, that seems to be or tends to be what we see the most of promoted out there. I mean, it does sell well. How have you balanced that, that, that does so? Well, and that, that's not the core offering. That's not what you're trying to attract people with for the events.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely not what we sell. Like we don't offer a product that if you buy this, you're going to, you know, 5X your you know business or revenues or you know profits uh what we you know try to do is you know help people build their community and help people grow and if that's something they want then summit's a really good fit for them and yeah i think i try to live a pretty simple minimal life like i try my best to do that and uh let's see the the same exact thing as wanting something is not wanting something. And in fact, not wanting something is a, I guess not wanting something would be a better than actually wanting something. So I've tried to focus on that mindset. Like if you want something, then there's always like a chase and you need more. So it would actually be a better thing to not want something. Like say someone has a nice car if i just absolutely don't want the car like it's of no interest uh that is uh that's going to put you in a better place than whenever you see things you really want them
0: well and is that not it seems like that would be somewhat of an acute issue for you because you went from I guess where the story starts back in i don't know what the time was it you know 2006 7 whatever as you guys are are getting ready and you literally have no money you're you know in debt it seems like a pretty Fairly quick trajectory that things were working well, and you your own personal finances increased. so you had to deal with what are you going to do with this? Are you going to be the next you know Ferrari guy who's? I mean, I get so many. It's probably the majority of the requests I get to be on the show or for somebody who went from you know zero to they made a billion dollars, which is cool and, and has a lot of merit and stuff. But that in itself is not as much the story as the personal side of it you obviously had to, I would guess, make those choices of, okay, how am I going to live in accordance with maybe what I could afford?
1: Yeah, I'm just, I'm very focused on not wanting things. So that's, uh, that's definitely just a really major priority for me. Yeah, Not wanting the new phone, not wanting new winter gear, not wanting new tennis rackets, not wanting a new car yeah it's an interesting perspective i i actually got it i uh from something i saw naval ravikant post and it just really resonated i never kind of heard it in that way that not wanting yeah. is a much much better place to be than wanting it, it's it's the it's the equivalent <laughs> like uh john wants to buy a new house in hawaii but i'm just not interested in a house in hawaii so, I can avoid all of the trappings of wanting. Yeah. And so, I've really, really focused on not wanting things. And so, I have all these things that work great, uh, like my car from my pickup truck from 2016, and I don't want a new car. So, now, no matter what car I see or what new cars are available, I don't ever have to deal with the emotion of wanting. Yeah.
0: It's funny. I was literally going to ask you what kind of car you drove, not to judge just based on that, but it's kind of an interesting thing to see where people's you know, values are. The last one here, Elliot, is achievements. Um, and it's really in personal interest. Now you talked about tennis, if that's something you do for you. These are the things that you have. It's a combination of the things that you want to be doing on a consistent basis just for your own joy. One. And then two, what are some of the achievements that you're pursuing just, again, for your fulfillment? It doesn't have to be for credibility or for the world. These are things you want for you.
1: Well, I'm very into, you know, constantly sharpening our various skills. And I do try to, you know, pick a few things every year that I learn. So I don't know, achievements would be, you know, trying to read one book a week, uh, you know, trying – to uh, learn how to cook, trying to learn how to you know grow things, trying to become a better listener, you know various achievements through sports. But but yes, I think that uh, there's an element of you know you're not over programming with work. You're creating space for your friends and family, and then you're also creating spe- you know space to continue to grow because you know your primary job as someone who does work and for your businesses is to show up in a really good full mood with lots of energy every day and being in a place you're able to make good decisions. Yeah. So I think it's important, you know, a good achievement could be getting a good amount of sleep every night. So I do think I'm, I'm focused on kind of these peripheral uh, achievements for myself that will make me a better family member and, you know, a better coworker.
0: What about some of the big ticket in, again, in your own economy, just for you, achievements that you have ahead of you that just keep you motivated
1: you know i've shifted over the years from aggressively setting goals to not setting goals okay and i think it just varies you know there there there's certain years where it's been really helpful to set a bunch of different goals like i would set goals of where do i want the business to go where do i want my health to be um You know, what, what about my relationships? Maybe people set income goals, uh, you know, travel goals. I want to go on, you know, two vacations, whatever it is. So I've had years where I've really been focused many years on goals and then seeing at the end of the year, how I did. And then I've had years where it felt like, uh, I didn't want to set any goals. And, and, um, we actually had a debate on this in my summit Junto, which is our forum, with our group, Uh, you know, did people in our group set goals or not set goals? And it turned out it was kind of split and it's like a very driven entrepreneurial motivated group. And a number of the people didn't set goals, you know, they, and again, I think that maybe once you have your businesses in order and your businesses have kind of goals within themselves, right? Like you have a family, your businesses already have internal goals for the business. You can kind of shift to just be be focused on uh being really present, asking good questions, being available. I don't know. It's almost like uh it come there's an uh, intuitiveness at this point. Like I'm going on, you know, over 15 years of being an entrepreneur. Uh like I don't need to set goals of what time to wake up or goals for fitness or you know, goals for how I want to be. Like those things are kind of innate at this point. And there's uh, I don't know. It just it feels it's almost like uh, by not setting goals, there's an authenticity that it feels like comes with that. But again, I've kind of bounced back and forth between them. But yeah. currently, I'm in more of a not setting goals uh, mode, and you know, trying to you know be be more open to the various outcomes.
0: There's a survey that Tom Ziegler, who I co-host a lot with, has talked about where people were asked if they resonate more with goals as opposed to problem solving. And it's real curious to me because a lot of people are more problem solving, solving driven. So as you talk about yourself and even the peers where you say they've had some good business success and maybe they're not so goal driven, they got to go achieve this and they're killing it and, you know, doing the hustle and whatever. But over here that there's some problems that they still want to solve, even if they're more humanitarian based.
1: Yeah. I mean, let's just say you're a runner and every year you set these goals to do four marathons or two marathons. You're very specific in your training. Like, uh, you know, it could feel good when you're to not set goals, just kind of, you know, the idea of no cherished outcome. Like, I think the problem with a goal is you have a cherished outcome, hmm. right? A cherished outcome is like, I want something to come out of this podcast episode. Or if I go meet John for a business meeting, I want something to come out of it. And there's, there can be an inauthenticity in that. yeah. And so I think being able to go, uh, like, you know, do your running if you're a marathon runner without a cherished outcome, like just go run to run. You know, not everything needs to have uh, some specific goal you hit or high watermark for you to be happy and you have to keep hitting goals. I mean, because to an extent a goals are kind of like a means to an end. Yeah. Um, so I think that's maybe why I've shifted at times. It's not to say goals are not super important and I st- would say I still have some, but they're I think they they've shifted and they're more uh overall goals like uh I'd like to just focus more on cooking for my family at night rather than like I want to cook four meals a week. Yeah. Um you know and again just just a cherished outcome can be problematic because it means you're trying to extract Uh, like a preset value from something. Yeah,
0: man. Thank you. Thanks for the thoughtfulness and the the candor in sharing your values and even the values of the events you guys are doing, man. I, I I was so just inspired by the story, your story, the story of what you guys have done. And, uh, I'm eager to possibly partake of it here at some point. So man, thanks for the time, Elliot, and, uh, your insight and the effort that you've made to inspire us all. Thanks. You're great to chat. I just found that discussion really insightful. Again, you can get Elliot Bisnow's book, Make No Small Plans Anywhere. And it really goes through his story that's so inspiring for anybody, anybody pursuing something, but especially entrepreneurs. And you can find Elliot and his buddies, his partners at summit.co. Hey, thanks again for choosing to tune into the self-helpful podcast. If you got value, please subscribe, leave a review and a rating, uh, let others know what they can glean from the show. Most of all, share something you learned with someone else. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself.